Welcome to Boobs Aren't Worth Dying For, the podcast dedicated to integrative health and healing from breast cancer and breast cancer treatment using the best of conventional and natural medicine. Your host, Deborah Beaumont, is an advanced practice nurse, functional medicine practitioner, and fellow breast cancer survivor. Welcome to this week's episode of Boobs Aren't Worth Dying For. I'm your host, Deborah Beaumont. As you all know, my podcast is really oriented towards education and empowering you. I'm very excited this week to have a guest that I think is integral to any of us who are healing from cancer. And he really represents an area of healing that is under-acknowledged, under-treated, and oftentimes not even recognized. So my guest is Avanam Lerner. Uh, He is a TEDx speaker. He's the author of a book, The New Cancer Paradigm. He is a trauma recovery coach specializing in cancer, addiction, and PTSD. Avanon has an innovative approach to cancer recovery that highlights the multidimensional nature of our being and the need to treat illness on the level of the body, but also on the level of the mind. He works with patients and survivors seeking to play a more active role in their care. A practical, meaningful, and effective way to do so is through practice, workshops, and coaching programs, which he provides both online and in person. Using this path, he has found participants engage in the creative healing power of their mind and their ability to heal their body. I will tell you personally, one of the reasons I'm so excited to have Avanon speak today is that I was doing some of my own um, investigation around trauma in my life and this this really um, often kind of unformed feeling that I've had that it was really playing a role in my relationship with cancer and everything I've gone to. And I found Avanon, contacted him, and I would never have believed this possible, but in the middle of a COVID epidemic, dressing in something one step short of a hazmat suit, I flew from Oregon to Boston to work with him in person because I just found his work so compelling. Just seeing a therapist, just I knew was not going to be enough. And he was the first person that when I heard him speak, I really felt like he got it in a way that I needed to move forward. So with that introduction, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. I've learned a lot about Avanam in my work with him in the last several weeks. I know Avanam, a lot of his work is based in the area of psychoneuroimmunology. And for those of us with cancer, that means basically how everything that's happening in your body and mind is affecting your health. I really believe addressing this is an essential and core feature of dealing with cancer. So I'd like to start off our interview with just having you speak a little bit about your work with cancer and trauma and why you feel there's such an an integral connection there. Well, first of all, again, thank you for having me. It's a really privilege to speak to any audience, especially um, an audience that is specifically interested in cancer recovery, cancer wellness. And the intersection of trauma and cancer is no longer um, the realm of um, kind of fringe science, so to speak. There are fields of, of study, of scientific study, be it psychoneuroimmunology, be it the study of epigenetics, which have offered us an incredible amount of information over how our mind, which is the non-physical part of who we are, in other words, how we think, how we feel, what we believe to be true, our perceptions, how they, um, for better or worse, impact the functioning of our biology, more specifically the functioning of our immune system to be at the central nervous What we know through the work in both psychoneuroimmunology and epigenetics is that it's not that we have a certain genetic disposition and uh, it's not that we are, in a way, at the mercy of our DNA. We know that our environment and by that, not just the external physical environment, but also our internal environment, is what programs our genes to express in terms of illness or health. So the good news about it, or the really revolutionary thought process behind it, is that if this is true, then we have something to do with our experience, and in that respect, with the state of our body. More specifically, with these patterns that suppress immune function 
can render us more vulnerable to carcinogenics and um, other disease agents. So this is wonderful news to anyone who's struggling with health conditions of any sort because we can be a part of the solution. We're not separated, but we can actually be a part of the solution. And I've been doing this kind of work for almost 20 years, mostly in the Boston area, some of the work in one of Boston's more uh, prominent hospitals, the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. We have done some tremendous work, specifically helping and supporting patients, also people in my private practice, and helping them get significant improvements and significant results just by taking or playing a greater role in their recovery. I will say that um, I became really interested in this area the first time I had cancer. I, I went through a very difficult, well, all of my cancer treatments have been difficult, but I went through a very difficult time. I knew enough about post-traumatic stress and PTSD that when I got home and I realized I was having some classic symptoms like sleeplessness, hypervigilance, anxiety attacks, basically the hypervigilance. It took me a few days and I'm like, oh my God, what's happening? And then, you know, I have a background in psychology and I had studied PTSD and I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm re-experiencing trauma. For me, I have a history of childhood trauma. And so medical trauma, I'm particularly sensitive to because it, it just starts up a negative feedback loop for lack of a better phrase. If we um, explain what the, the trauma that is already there. Right. There's been a growing awareness among medical people and practitioners that that we have trauma from and po- post-traumatic stress related to other things, but I don't see a lot of practitioners out there grounded in, in addressing that, particularly as it plays a role in cancer. In and of itself is traumatic enough to create Absolutely. a situation of post-traumatic stress and Absolutely. trauma-informed responses in your body. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. You said something that was, I, I'm, it's paraphrasing and it's not exact, so you can correct me. But this was really powerful for me where you said the process of cancer treatment is that you have surgery, you have chemo, you have radiation. All these things are done to you. None of us want them done to us, but, you know, the alternative we're being told is that we're going to die. You know, none of us want that. So as a protective mechanism, sometimes we, I don't know, muscle through it, dissociate, you know, somehow whatever's being done to us is not hitting that core identity of who we are, you know, and sometimes we have to, I think, do that to protect ourselves, to get through these grueling treatments, but I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that because you've said it much more eloquently in one of the talks I heard you say. Thank you. Well, I think what I've said is that um, we have to, like, most of the people that get I get to work with, patients or clients, essentially feel that when they undergo treatment, like you said, treatment is done to them to the point that they feel separated from their experience, separated from their illnesses if they have nothing to do with it. And so... Intuitively, they understand that if they will continue to think, feel, and be, and behave in the same way that they've done so far, intuitively, they know if they'll continue to do the same thing, they're going to get the same kind of results. And they want to make sure that that doesn't happen. That's not the case. So we can backtrack a little bit and talk about trauma, because childhood trauma is subjective. For one person, there was significant abuse. To another, it can be something else. But trauma is subjective, and it's alive within us. I tell, I give people uh, the analogy of uh, uh, a barrel uh, left outside to collect raindrops. Year after year, it may be okay, um, you know. It, it, but over time, it will certainly overflow, and it has to be drained. If it hasn't been drained, it will overflow, and that's when illness, metaphorically speaking, is. Is happening. That's the experience of that. But because trauma is subjective, and many of us have been uh, have learned patterns that um, kind of help us manage our experience, we kind of push it to the side because there's a lot to do, uh, and and there's a lot of demand just to be functioning in this world. So over time, we push things aside again and again and again, 
until the trauma is reactivated. You talk about uh, getting the diagnosis itself. It's a perfect example for triggering trauma because when you hear those three very powerful words, you have cancer, your world turned upside down again. Absolutely. What it yep. means is that you no longer, I mean, you used to be a father, a mother, a brother and sister. You used to be someone with dreams and aspirations and all of a sudden you become a cancer patient. So there's a change to your identity. There's a change to your mobility, your productivity, to, to everything that you know about yourself. To be true, everything changes. And this is traumatic in its nature. Now, most places that people will tend to get care at, most medical facilities and hospitals and so forth, they offer um, social workers and therapists of sorts. But the trauma is can be found at a very deep level. And I tell people all the time, the work that I do is not at the level of the conscious mind, it's at the level of the subconscious mind. Why is that important? Most of the time when you go to talk therapy, you of some sort, conventional therapy, you are basically engaging therapy that uh, directs its or focuses its attention at the conscious thought process, conscious mind. And that's perfectly fine. But if you're driving a car, and your engine is leaking. Um, I use, I give the analogy that therapy is like cleaning, uh, cleaning your windshield, if you will, when they're kind of dirty, so that you can see the road better. You better understand what's ahead of you. You can better prepare for uh, uh, the terrain and everything in between. But when your engine is leaking, wiping your windshield clean is just not conducive. It's just not addressing the problem at the level. But it is, you actually need to stop the car at the side of the road, need to lift the hood and look under the hood for the problem and apply the solution. What conventional therapy is designed to do is not that. We need a different process. And that's why we need to get to that place where no amount of radiation or chemotherapy can, um, can enter. And that is uh, what the very purpose of this kind of work is designed to do, to address the deeper layers of your experience. The way that I describe what I do, I'm a cancer and trauma recovery specialist, and I help my clients, my patients, to um, address that deeper part of, intimate part of themselves and strengthen or mobilize their inner resources and strengthen their body's innate capacity to defend against and recover from cancer. And this is the all-powerful immune system. The very goal of my work is to make sure that those mental and psychological patterns of trauma, helplessness, hopelessness, and so forth, that we know through research have shown to suppress immune function, we need to address those and resolve them so that the immune system can perk up and do what it's designed to do, which is to eliminate any abnormalities in the blood. Now listen, if you were not born with cancer, then your immune system has been doing it for many years until the moment where the barrel that was left outside have overflowed with raindrops. So what we need to do is drain the barrel. We need to resolve these patterns. And in doing so, allow the body to do what it knows how to do since day one, which is to manage its balance or maintain a state of balance which correlates to a state of health. If, if I'm not mistaken, it takes about four hours, only four hours, from the moment we, when someone dies till the moment where the body begins to decay. It takes four hours. Right. In other words, the same forces that are here and now as we speak are at work, and the very reason we're not decaying is because of the all-powerful immune system. It right. knows how to do its job. It's been doing it from the beginning of time. Now, there are certain forces that can either um, suppress or enhance its functioning. And what we've done, unbeknown to ourselves, what we've gone through is accumulated patterns, beliefs, perceptions that are erroneous and limited, that over the many years of our lives have um, reached the tipping point. We are not doomed in any sort of way. This is not a sort of punishment. And, and, and for a lot of people, the question, why me, is a very prominent question. This is not a, 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 um, a, a form of punishment from any kind of divine source. This is just 
an accumulation of patterns that can be resolved and hopefully reversed. Not only do I think the medical system doesn't help, but they can they can they can exaggerate this because to greater and lesser degrees, I've I've seen doctors who are very tuned in and very aware. Um, I've also seen doctors who are as clueless as can be, and all they want to do is focus on the physical, and all they want to do is focus on the next treatment and the next treatment and the next treatment. And when you, I, I call the, you know, you have cancer that you referred to, the equivalent of somebody putting a gun to your head and saying, okay, here's the gun, and now you have to make all these life-changing decisions. You've got to do it by Monday, or you're going to die. You know, okay. and, and that's trauma in and of itself. That's and, certainly a trauma. And, and I think it's important to say modern medicine does save lives. Right. There are more people alive today than any other time in history. Modern medicine is a miracle that can and should be utilized in uh, whenever there's, there is a physical crisis going on. But we know that cancer is a multidimensional event. It's a whole person event. Yes, first and foremost, it happens or takes shape or become visible and tangible in the physical body. But because the mind and body are an integrated system, it, it happens to all of us. In other words, if you just apply the remedy on the physical level, you're essentially solving only a part of the healing equation. Right. And if you're only getting or solving a part of the healing equation, you only get partial results, hence recurrences. The responsible thing to do is basically absolutely utilize whatever modern medicine can offer because they think that buys us time, but it doesn't end up there. Whatever the doctors, and I have tremendous com com compassion for them because they're locked into a certain Newtonian understanding, Newtonian way of, view, of, of seeing things. In other words, cause and effect. It's, it's a paradigm that is no longer. Uh, it's, it's, it's a diminishing paradigm because we, so much has changed, especially with the science of epigenetics, with, with psychoneuroimmunology. We know that so much, it doesn't work just like they would like you to believe. And I wish that anyone listening would actually recognize that medicine is not a written and done story. Modern medicine is a story that gets rewritten almost every day with almost every new discovery. It overrides everything else in much the same way that we once believed that the world is flat and then we learned that the world is actually round. You're not going to convince everyone. You just got to find, because there's still people believe that the world is flat, by the way. In just the same way, you got to find the right doctor, the right medical provider that will work with you, that will have the humility to say, listen, with the tools that I have, this is what I see. And if I, and, and, and I recognize, I recognize that I'm just looking at this through one particular lens. But I also recognize that there are things that I can't explain and I cannot measure and I cannot address. So by all means, go and do whatever you feel is right for you. And I will make sure that using all the tools that I have to my, at my disposal, I will make sure that I'm giving you the best kind of care. But if I was the doctor, the responsible thing to do would say, listen, this is bigger. I mean, you can't really hurt your pinky toe without having an emotional reaction, mm, right? right? So how can you go through any procedure, medical procedure, let alone cancer diagnosis and the shock of it and then the treatment and the procedures, how can you go through that and not have it reverberates internally through your, uh, uh, you know, emotional realm and also your um, mental realm, which is basically, from my perspective, the realm of meaning. In other words, it impacts everything. Not just the physical, but the emotional, the mental, sometimes the spiritual, if you want to go there too. Every aspect of our experience has to be addressed. And that's what the word holistic is all about. Unfortunately, it's been diluted to some extent. And most of the methods that are out there, which uh, uh, are valuable and meaningful, that utilize the physical body as the point of access, I call them things sacred cows. Why? Because unless Unless the, if we, we, we uh, try to address the blueprint, which builds everything based on the program within, the protocol within, unless we address that as in addressing the mind, 
you can repair and try to heal. I mean, if your engine is leaking, you can put more oil, more gas, everything in between, but it will continue to leak. At, at, at a certain point, it, the car will uh, shut down. That's my point. Well, you know, one of the things that I think is unique to women going through breast cancer treatment, and certainly with the clients that I work with, some of these symptoms, you know, telling you like something's going on with the engine, sometimes they don't come up when you're in the active phase of, oh my God, I've got to get to this chemo appointment and this doctor appointment and here and there, because your conscious mind is so busy just trying to keep all the balls in the air. And you're in this hyper vigilant state, you know, this hyper adrenalized state. And for those of you who have listened to my previous podcast, you know, this so much ties into my interview with Carrie Jones and where she's talking about what happens when we have high levels of cortisol in our system and how that affects our health. That's what's happening is, is we're having this high level of cortisol because we're just muscling through. And sometimes I think it's when that stops that there's like this huge letdown, like, wow, there's, you know, I finished the radiation. Why am I so depressed? Or I'm, I'm done with treatment. Why, why is it bothering me now? It didn't bother me when I had to go get chemo. And one of the areas that, that is particularly unique to breast cancer treatment that is very traumatic is the disfigurement that goes along with the surgery. There are women I've talked to who can't take their bandages off because they can't tolerate looking in the mirror. You know, they know that they made the decision they made because they needed to. They knew they were trying to save their life, but the aftermath can be where a lot of the trauma surfaces. Absolutely. Uh, you know, just to put things in perspective, the trauma, there's two reasons, main reasons for why we stress out, why we can be traumatized. One is we perceive the situation to be dangerous, difficult, or painful. And of course, it all applies to cancer diagnosis and treatment. So the first one is about perception. The second one is about belief. And it's that we don't believe we have the inner resources to cope. So no one can prepare you for a cancer diagnosis. No one can prepare you for such an event. So it burns itself into our psyche as trauma. That's the first part of it. The second part of it, I work with a, a good number of uh, people, both men and women, that have what we call long-term side effects. And right. sometimes 30 years uh, after okay. the cancer treatment. And, you know, one of my clients had childhood cancer. And that was back in the day, early 70s, where they basically knew very little. They bombarded the body, or mainly uh, uh, that area of the body, with radiation, which basically froze her heart to the point that she needed a heart transplant. Absolutely. Yeah. And she got a heart transplant because, and, and then having to deal with, with that all those years later. So thank God she's alive, thanks to modern medicine. And, and, you know, but at the same time, the quality of her life is so fragile because she is suffering with all these side effects. And, you know, anyone that's been through transplant, you know, you have to take certain medications and those don't necessarily interact with the other medications. And, and so it's, you have to become that manager. Your quality of life is impacted. And women specifically with breast cancer, but also um, other kinds of, 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 uh, of cancer, they carry the scars. And even though they have reconstruction and even though they have all these beautiful technologies available to them, they are changed forever. Right. And that has to be addressed at the level, or at the most intimate level. It's not going to help just to talk about it. This is not kind of a therapy session of tell me how you feel about it. We actually have to get into that part of the mind, which is important for people to understand. The subconscious mind is not just where we want to affect change because for the sake of it. The subconscious mind is the part of our mind that governs many of our bodily functions including digestion. We don't consciously do that. Body temperature, heart beating. We don't manage those experiences. The subconscious mind is also the part of the mind that intervenes with the immune system, the functioning of the immune system. So all these patterns of trauma, of suffering, comes to the surface again and again in many different ways, in, in many different forms, and it breeds or, in, you know, it just weighs heavily on our experience. Um, there's a doctor in um, Canada, Dr. Alistair Cunningham, I believe, that, that said, um, 
Much of the suffering uh, for cancer patients stem from reflecting upon their diagnosis, right? And what it means rather than actually going through the procedure. So the point of it is now that I have been defined as a cancer patient, what the hell does that mean, right? How do I, how is my life changed by it? And the conclusion that we arrive at, at how our life has changed, breeds a great degree of suffering, which again, suppress immune function. So we have to get from out of this loop, from under this loop. We have to break this cycle. And the most accurate, precision-oriented, goal-oriented way to do that, that I know, is the kind of work that we have done, where we bypass the conscious part of our mind, the critical, judging, rational part of our mind, and we go into the vault, where the memories, the perception, the self is. And then we allow the mind to bring forth what it believes. It's not about analyzing, it's not about contemplating, it's not about observing, it's just allowing your mind, the client's mind, to bring forth what it believes is relevant to the illness, to the symptoms, to the suffering, and we begin to chip at that block slowly but surely so that we get to that tipping point or close enough to the tipping point so that the body biology can uh, be reawakened, revived, and restored and that hope begins to flow more freely, that you, be, you, you something opens up for you from within, uh, and, and, you, and you kind of return back to the land of living. And you come from under this trauma, you come from out of this dark forest into the, into the sun, and you can, be, you can begin to breathe again, you can begin to spread your wings and let your dreams soar, and, and you can begin to participate and get back into life and living and get busy at it because meaning and purpose are important. That's the best way to take back control over our lives. And with cancer, make sure that we don't just spend the rest of our days uh, looking over our shoulder for every symptom, every ache, every turn of the body, every little sensation out there is, and, and, and to make sure we're not kind of reliving the trauma. We have to really dig deep and resolve this, diffuse these uh, time bombs so that, and, and, and they're mental, they're psychological, they're, they're in the realm of thoughts, perceptions, and beliefs. It's tangible for us to do. Because when we do that, then we're not triggered as such. We are more in control, we're intact. I, I just spoke to a woman a couple days ago. She said, oh my God, you know, I, I led a healthy life and, you know, I exercise and her body weight is normal and I eat healthy and I do all the right things. And then she was diagnosed with breast cancer. You know, her friends actually said to her, like, you, you know, you were diagnosed with breast cancer? How could that happen? My response was, people can say some of the most insensitive, unsupportive things. And sometimes that can be blaming somebody. So going back to what you said, even if you're trying to understand what it means for yourself, but then you've got, you know, husbands, family, friends, you know, saying, you know, oh my God, what did you do to cause the cancer? It, 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 it can just tap into a lot of levels of, you know, different, different feelings, depression, anxiety, hopelessness, shame, whatever. But unfortunately, I don't think we live in a world that's very um, supportive sometimes. Of well, I, I can tell you, I haven't met anyone over the past 20 years that wished to be diagnosed with cancer. This is not something that we do to ourselves per se. In other words, there is this um, thinking or school of thought that says, well, you create your own reality and therefore you are responsible. Uh, anyone that wants to blame, anyone that wants to um, kind of uh, uh, invest themselves in, uh, in, in that negative uh, um, cocktail of, of shame and guilt and so forth, I, I don't think they have their, your, your well-being in mind. I have not met any person that wanted to be sick. What, what really does happen is unbeknown to us over the years of our lives, based on some of the, the things that we've learned about ourselves to be true, over time, very, very gradually, we forget to drain the barrel. And again, at a certain point, it will overflow. In other words, certain patterns will become strong enough within our thinking and our beliefs to the point where they suppress the immune system just enough so that we become more vulnerable to 
the forces that are working around us. No one is doing it to themselves. If it was true, then if we could just think our way into illness, we could think our way right back into health. It's a little more complicated than that, right? This is a process and it doesn't, um, and, and, and it's not if I have a negative thought, I'm causing myself cancer. It doesn't work like that. And it's important for people to step from out of that uh, notion. In fact, I would say that, you know, there are a lot of books that are written about cancer, cancer as a wake-up call, cancer as a, a point of no reason. There's all these kind of assumptions. I think cancer is very personal. And while there's more and more people that are going through illness, I think what's important to understand that even if we're doing all the right things, consciously, we're eating right, we're exercising, we're doing all the right things, we can be in what I call a state of two minds. Consciously, we can do everything that we think is right. But beneath the surface, again, using the car metaphor here or just example, beneath the surface, there's a different program that is running, counterproductive to that conscious state of mind. And we will not even know it. In fact, that's most of the time. What happens? There is, um, there are all kinds of patterns at play. Some people would like to correlate certain cancers to certain patterns. I know that some people relate cancer, uh, breast cancer specifically to nourishment or self-deprivation uh, patterns. But I, I think it's not really helpful to really go after this is what we've done wrong to ourselves. Here we are. This is something serious that we need to pay attention to and address. And there have got to be various ways that we can do it that are appropriate for us. Medical is important because it buys time, but that's not where it ends. That, that just, we have to take it a little further. We have to go a little beyond the physical because the answer to the why me question cannot really be found within the dimensions of the human cell. The answer to the why me is found in a different realm in the self which is beyond the physical. And that's where we need to go. Well, what you're talking about, and this is something that's always been um, kind of a hot button with me, and I, I get I get really irritable about it. But um, I, I remember uh, I was attending a cancer group, and um, I was talking about something, and this, this woman who, who, in reality, looking back, the woman was just absolutely terrified, and that's where what she was saying was coming from. But, um, you know, no one in the group, I mean, it was a support group for cancer, but no one in the group could talk about their fear, their anxiety, or their concern, because it triggered this woman. And she was like, you can't do that. You can't think negative. That's what gives you cancer, and you've got to think positive thoughts. This simple, you, you talk in your book about um, reductionist thinking, but this simplistic reductionist thinking of if you think positive, you protect yourself, and if you've got cancer, it's because you thought negatively. It's just the most oversimplification. Well, it's, it's complete and utter nonsense. It's, it's got just, nothing to do with the truth. You can make as many vision boards as you want, but, yet you know, I, I mean, it's not a matter of, you're not talking about positive thinking or negative no. thinking. You're talking about really a profound shift, what you call in, in your book, a paradigm shift, a sure. profound paradigm shift to understanding um, the levels of, of illness and, and how we are supporting or not supporting ourselves. Um, Correct, because because otherwise you're stuck in the past, right? Right. So the idea is that if we're going to continue to do everything we've done so far, right, wake up in the same way and um, brush our teeth and drink our coffee and then go to work and then uh, meet the colleagues and get triggered by the same, if we're just going to go through the motion again and again, day after day, without changing everything, uh, we're essentially living in the past. In order for us to, and, and if we are with, uh, experiencing any state of health crisis of sort, then obviously based on cause and effect, we recognize that something has to change. And what has to change, what the, the beauty of this kind of work is that you can, you can make that shift, this paradigm shift really quickly because all it does, all, all it's meant to help you do is kind of sever those beliefs and perceptions at the root of your suffering at the root of your experience. The reason why you do certain things is because that's what you believe to be true. So you believe that about yourself, 
to be limited in this way, good in that way, bad in that way, and so forth. This is what you've learned about yourself to be true by other people over the years, through experiences, your own experience, and so forth. It's all perfectly fine if everything works. But if you're experiencing a state of health, you're going to look at everything you've done beforehand to get here. You want to change that? If you want to change that, you have to become a new person in a way or stop thinking, feeling, believing in a certain way. And a very effective way to do and have this paradigm shift is to do this kind of work on subconscious level, to do this deep cleansing, to really shift what you think from, uh, even about treatment, by the way, from perceiving treatment as being difficult, painful, and dangerous, to seeing treatment, be it medical treatment or any other treatment, as supportive, as helpful, as enhancing. There's a certain way to do that. And we have to get uh, down to the building blocks, to the playground, if you will, to the blueprint to make these changes happen. And it can happen pretty quickly. You know that my program is uh, 15 hours in total, and it gets you from A to Z. Right. Now, it's not that the rest of the world has changed in these 15 hours, but you had, and, and maybe you can speak to that from your experience, you're having to resolve, you're getting to resolve or address and face some of those core beliefs that have held you kind of in this prison of mind, in this prison of experience, because you can't think or you can't actually have a greater experience than the way you think and the way you feel. It becomes your experience, right? Absolutely. One of the things that I want to say to this, this, you know, positive, negative thinking thing, I never heard anybody say, oh, well, you've got, you know, heart disease because you had a negative thought or you have diabetes because you think negatively. For some reason, people make cancer this holy grail of a, of a diagnosis that somehow you did it to yourself. So if there's anything I want women to understand from our talk is that you did not do it to yourself. Absolutely. You know, this is not your fault. Absolutely. You know, as my husband says, sometimes you're just it. I do have a history of trauma in my life. I also have a history of medical trauma. I had a horrendous medically induced traumatic experience during my first cancer treatment. In reality, for reasons not really related to my cancer, I was left paralyzed for two and a half years. And so when I went home, that's when I started having the PTSD. And for the first time in my life, started having panic attacks. And for those of you who aren't familiar with PTSD, the conditions that create PTSD are basically facing a life-threatening condition, not having control of your environment or circumstances and having very painful and intrusive things happen to you, which definitely happens to people who are soldiers, but you know, it doesn't take much to kind of apply that to what we all go through. And the symptoms of that are like hypervigilance, sleeplessness, you know, anxiety. And I was having all of those. I was on this emotional roller coaster. And I got through that. I, I learned to walk again. I got through the treatments. But the thing is, is that the thing that I realized in working with Avanom is that there was like this residue, this kind of core place that I went to that felt like survival at the time. But it's really more, it really is kind of like that survival, just, just shut down, muscle through it, you know, just endure. But that doesn't, that, that doesn't serve us well when we're trying to expand and heal. And well, no, because no healing can happen. No healing or repair can happen when you're in survival mode. That's not the time to heal and repair. That's the time to run away, right? That's right. the fight of and life. Protect yourself and, and do whatever you can. It's, it's, it's a protection phase. And biochemically, through the world of functional medicine, we see it in hormones and we see it in hormone testing and we see it in symptoms and adrenal fatigue and thyroid exhaustion. Those are the symptoms of everything that we're talking about, you know, and, and what Apanom, what I've learned from him is that, you know, when you go back and really do this kind of deep work, that isn't a matter of like positive thinking. It's, it's just so much more profound than that. And there are a number of techniques that I think you utilize that I'd like you to talk about to help people with this. But when you can go back and do this kind of profound work, uh, I, I just, I, I think it makes a world of difference in your ability to get through treatment, your ability to thrive through treatment, your ability to recover after treatment. One of the techniques that Avanom 
uses is hypnosis. And I think people don't know about hypnosis and that that can be a little scary. But if you ever wonder like what it's like to, to access your subconscious mind, that's what happens when we dream. You know, so if you if you are dreaming and if you're somebody who remembers your dreams and you're like, wow, this was a powerful dream, that is actually your your unconscious mind at work because your conscious mind has gone to sleep. And that's where hypnosis is trying to get to that same place where you can access memories, where you can access emotions, where you can access healing resources that don't go through the part of your brain that analyzes and plans and schedules Absolutely. And to get to that core of ourselves, we have to, um, so you talk about hypnotherapy. First of all, hypnotherapy or hypnosis in general got a bad rap because of Hollywood and stage shows and school performances and so forth. But what we do in the offices uh, got nothing to do with that. Whenever you apply healing work to uh, hypnosis for, for healing, it's fundamentally different from um, anything you've learned uh, through Hollywood or stage shows and such. So it's, it's a whole different ballgame. Now, even in hypnosis in general, uh, there are different schools. The kind of work that I do is a little more on the advanced side of it, and uh, it's really not for everyone, but it's for anyone who really wants and need to get results. Why? Because it gets to that place, that core place, the, uh, you know, the motherboard, if you will, the blueprint of our experience. And once, I think the, 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 a lot of people are curious, so how is it different from therapy? So as I mentioned, therapy primarily engages the part of the mind we call the conscious mind, which is the part of your mind that is listening to me right now and analyzing and evaluating everything uh, that I say. The other part is where everything we know about ourselves and our lives to be true, that's where it's stored and so it's a storehouse of our memories and perceptions and everything in between. That's where everything, it's like a massive library. I tell people all the time that if you go to the bank and you want to get some gold out of the vault, there's a guard that's standing in front of, of the vault that basically let people with the right credentials in and let uh, and keep people with the wrong credentials, it keeps them out. And that's what the conscious mind is doing for a variety of reasons. The, the, the subconscious mind, as powerful as it is, as a goal-achieving agency uh, that it is, it's literal. So it doesn't really uh, know the difference between real and imagined. It just stores information. In order to affect change at the level of subconscious mind so that it will feel as if it's the truth about us, we have to bypass the guard and get into the vault, open the right folder, and change the information. That's the, the only use of hypnosis. It's just like a surgeon using a scalpel to get into the body. I use hypnotherapy to get into the mind. Other than that, there's no value to it whatsoever. There are different methods to then engage the mind at bringing us or bring forth what he believes is right or meaningful or relevant to the illness, the symptoms, the suffering, and so forth. And it brings it forth for recall, review, and if we need correction, adjustment, change, once it's done, it can be integrated right back into the experience, into our experience, in a way that it feels as if it always has been true. Now, I love one of Joe Dispenza's, Dr. Joe Dispenza's quotes that says, uh, events without emotions become wisdom. In other words, uh, uh, even trauma, if you, if you exhaust the emotional fog around it, then you can actually learn from it, grow from it. And we all have. We all, in some kind of one way or another, we all have grown uh, because of those difficult experiences. Something had to spring up within us in response to difficult events. And we, it's usually resilience, some level of wisdom, some capacity that otherwise would not have come into play. And so we all have grown. The point is that when we do this systematically, and as I mentioned, I work within a program, by the way, for those who want to learn more about it, abinoamlelmel.com, abinoamlelmel.com is my website. You can find my TED talk and all the other videos and components there. But in a nutshell, what we are aiming to do is tap into that program that runs our experience and make the right adjustment. You know, we used to use 
computer language to say, well, it's just like you're updating your software every now and then. This is how we update the mind about who we are today. I live in Boston, and so I use the analogy of going through life as if you look at a baseball game through a hole in the fence. You only see a part of the field, but in order for you to make sense of the game, you're going to make a story up about what happened before and after. In other words, in those parts that you don't see, because the game needs to make sense. And the point is that we come often time, we, we, our life is a collection of ideas. Not all of them are true. It's a collection of beliefs. Not all of them are true. And so we sift through the data. We keep what's working and we correct what's not working. And in doing so, we, we get to stand tall again. We get to uh, breathe again. We get to open up and, and, and perk up and, and just kind of um, claim our own power. One of the images that comes to mind when you talk about this, and I know it's in your book, but anybody who knows anything about glaciers is that, you know, when you see, when you imagine a glacier, what you're actually seeing is only the tip of the glacier. 75% of it is underwater. You know, that imagery is just, I just think it's really simplistic and very powerful. For anybody who's concerned about hypnotherapy, the fact is, is that no one does anything to you. I mean, somebody's talking to you and you either choose to follow along with that or not, but it's still you. And so you don't have to be afraid of of this because you're not going to do anything in a hypnotic state that you would not do. Even more than that, you remember, you hear everything, you remember everything. It's an, a dynamic process, so you're part of the process, right? I mean, this is not just... Uh, um, right. It's not a passive, somebody's doing something to you. Well, About it's important to remember, um, first of all, hypnosis, like you said, is a state of consent. That's first and foremost. You have to want to be uh, using this approach. But the reason it's easy to follow this approach or, or utilize this approach is because it's based on suggestions. We have all been responding and to suggestions. And it's a very comfortable, nice place to be. I well, mean, oh my but, God, but, we go through our lives stressed out and all of a sudden you're in a place where somebody's saying, you know, relax and, you know, like let the stresses of the day go. It's just a nice, nice experience to be in. Well, but I, I want to kind of uh, highlight the fact that suggestions, we've all been following suggestions from the beginning of time. When someone says, hey, have you heard about this restaurant? They got great food. It's a suggestion that you're going to follow on or buying clothing at a certain store or that's why commercials work so well because they plant suggestions that we, you know, I sat here, I didn't know uh, I was even hungry and all of a sudden, uh, why am I hungry? It's, uh, you know, I just eaten and apparently there was a commercial, you didn't pay attention, your conscious mind, your security system was down and you basically um, absorbed information. And that's a natural process. We all go in and out of state of hypnosis every day. When it's used for healing, it's a little more potent. It's a little more goal-oriented. It's a little more structured. But it is the same principle of following suggestions because they mean something to you. The idea is that I haven't met anyone that isn't really uh, responding to suggestions. You know me. uh, my approach is very ground, very methodical, very practical, very pragmatic, and we get results done. This is not a fluffy kind of uh, esoteric experience. This is hard work, and it's intensive. You know, if you can That's tell people a little bit about the format, the first day that we're getting, getting to work together, it's actually seven and a half straight hours. Yeah. And so the 15-hour program is divided into several segments. The first part, is this intensive day where we get to go really down, uh, really deep down the rabbit hole and cover a great deal of mental ground. We get to do a lot of the cleaning right at the get-go, at day one. And when you leave there today, you already feel something has opened up, something shifted. And so this doesn't have to take long. This does not depend on the alignment of the stars or whether your cat is fed or whether the weather is, is, is one way or the other. This is just a very methodical process that is grounded in scientific data and study, evidence-based approach, 
that has very defined beginning, middle, and end, and very specific therapeutic intersections, we have to cross successfully one before we move on to the next. So there's no mystery here. There's no mysticism. We know where we are along the path, and uh, we work to get results. As simple as that. Any of you can go to www.avanonlearner.com. I will have this in the show notes if you want to look it up. You know, Avanon has developed this very concentrated, very intense 15-hour program. I, I tell people all the time, I have a tremendous respect for conventional therapy. It's got time and place. But when it comes to trauma such as cancer, it's mental masturbation. It's not the right tool for the job. Right. Because you right. don't just want to talk about it. And the 50 m- clinical minutes that most therapists work by is just not long enough to initiate any change on any level. It's enough for you. It takes 20 minutes to sit down, 20 minutes to talk about your pain. And before you know it, you're out the door and the pain is out here, hanging right in front of you. And you bump into the rest of your day through your pain. Right. And it's not conducive to healing. Right. It's just management. So we are not here to manage anything. We're here to uproot, right? address the root cause of your suffering, change the very building blocks, the erroneous perceptions and beliefs that are at the root of this uh, uh, illness and, and state of kind of uh, ill health. And, and, and we do this very methodically, very uh, persistently, and, uh, and we move forward. You know, I, I was looking through um, or reading Avanam's book um, in preparation for this, and, you know, he uses the phrase immersive healing. And that's really what this is. It's immersing yourself in the healing qualities, you know, in the, in the, in, in the healing that we all need to do. And this can be done during treatment. It can be done after treatment. As you said, it can be done 10 years after treatment. You know, this isn't in a time frame. You know, this well, is it's, it's it's very personal. It's interesting you say that I have people that live with severe trauma who do this kind of work to prevent trauma from taking hold of the body in the form of illness. Right. And, of course, I have people in treatment, and then I have people that uh, what we call survivors or people that have been through treatment, and they really deal with uh, some long-term side effects, and that's perfectly fine too. I would say, uh, you know, just to highlight why hypnosis is really the key uh, uh, factor in, the, in this kind of work, we have to create, you talked about immersive healing, um, we have to create a level of the immersion in your experience. So when you go to talk therapy, conventional therapy, you talk about your experience, you both, both the observer and the participant. When you're in two places, nothing happens, nothing significant happens. And if it happens, it happens over a long period of time. We don't have a long period of time. So we want to immerse your attention, focus your attention on a singular point where your mind has taken you to, which has everything to do with this uh, experience and limitation and struggle and suffering, and you become immersed in such a way that however back in time it is taking you to, it feels as if it's right here and right now. And this level of immersion is really uh, uh, creating an unparalleled level of authenticity. And authenticity is the bridge for transformation. Authenticity in your experience so that it feels real to you as if you're right there, back then and there. And yet it feels also as if you're right here. When this bridge between the past and the the present moment exists for you, because of the level of authenticity that you're in, you're experiencing, that's when transformation can happen. That's when the meaning of past events is altered and changed in such a way that you come to a new decision about what they mean to you. You shift their polarity from negative to neutral and hopefully positive because you have found the silver lining. You can shift your attention. When this has happened, it's inevitable that you will change on the deepest level of your being. It's inevitable. Well, I want to emphasize that one of the things that I was truly impressed with, and I hope I'm not putting this out there um, arbitrarily, is that um, 
when I contacted Avanam, I was going to, in, you know, I was asking him about doing this interview for the podcast, and um, he picked up the phone. Well, uh, I think you would agree that there's enough suffering already for anyone going through uh, any uh, health crisis as such. I'm not a an organization. I'm just a uh, a practitioner with with tremendous passion to help people get from under suffering and get back into life and living in and 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 a sense of 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 worth and that's a way to do that is to speak with people directly and I offer free consultations not everything is money if we're a good fit we can talk further but first let's figure out what you need and if I am possibly a good fit for you if we are we you know sky's the limit but we we first have to cross the first bridge right well and and you're doing work that that I just don't see being represented out there, which is really tying together this cancer and trauma piece. You know, as I said, there's no blaming or, you know, anything going on, but just understanding when you have early childhood trauma, it actually physically affects the way your brain develops. It's not a psychological la-la-foo-foo phenomenon. It affects the structure of your brain and your ability to develop some of these skills that we're talking about or the capacity for resilience, helping the body get in a place to really make those very physical connections. I mean, there is definitely a psychological piece, but do not make the mistake of thinking that trauma is just a psychological experience and and time will heal all wounds. Because let me tell you, time does not heal all wounds. It just fester and show up in other ways. I've just heard from too many of my clients. It's usually in a, in a side comment. They'll talk about all their treatment. They'll talk about the radiation. They'll talk about the drugs they were given. And then, you know, they'll sit there and say, oh, yeah. And, and you know, I feel so traumatized by the experience. And it's like, that's the afterthought. You know, that needs to be the first thought. Like, like okay, whether the trauma is childhood or whether it's going through um, the actual treatment, what happens to your body. I find, um, I found in my own experience that, that friends and family are often not there for you afterwards. They can say some of the most hurtful, insensitive things, and you're just like wide open, you know, and it can be very difficult and upsetting and traumatic. And when we generate those emotions, as opposed to the emotions that we're talking about accessing around healing, when you're generating anger and angst and sadness and loss and grief, your body has a chemical reaction. Those chemicals do not support our health and recovery. Whereas there are things that you can do, you know, um, one of the, um, Uh, people that I know Avanam follows, and he's actually got me into uh, working in in this area is a a man named Joe Dispenza. And he's got a long story and he's got lots of stuff on YouTube. But what he talks about is that when we access the ability to sit down and meditate or hypnosis or whatever you want to call it, when we access that, that not only are we down-regulating all of those harmful chemicals that are running through our body like hypercortisol and you know things that are shortening the telomeres in our body not only are we down regulating and telling the body like it's okay to rest here but we're up regulating 12 to 1300 filling chemicals in our body um i mean what else in the world can you accomplish that with you you literally turn off one switch that is damaging your health and the ability to turn on the other, you know, what else can you take, you know, do that, that gives you 1200 healing, calming, you know, life affirming chemicals running through your body. And the beauty of Joe Dispenza's work is as a neuroscientist, they actually do brain scans and they measure uh, in a scientific way, they measure the changes in the body. So if you're curious about, the psychobiology of doing this kind of work, I absolutely recommend Joe Dispenza, um, and I absolutely uh, support his work, uh, some of the work that he does in workshops, or you, you can find all the information online because he's got the language and the scientific validation to uh, help you understand what's going on in the body when you think this way or believe that way or changing or shifting your paradigm. At the same time, because he, as people, we work in the realm of time and space, 
if time is of the essence for you, in other words, if, if you don't have uh, long enough time to sit down and do the job dispenser meditation and you want to hasten that, go a little faster, then this kind of approach, my approach, is really what it's designed to do. It's right. to really short, kind of a hasten the process and make sure that you don't have to spend so much time uh, on that journey. Well, not only that, but working with you, you have a lovely office, you know, in Watertown, you know, but you also do it in a very safe place and a very supportive place. And, and you're not doing it alone. Whereas, you know, you can look up any number of people on the internet, and you listen to something, but you, you're still not having that, that supportive healing network around you. And, and I know when I was personally uh, doing this work with Avanon a couple of weeks ago, I was having some very difficult memories come up. It, it, it wasn't just a matter of like, oh, okay, I'm walking out of your office and now I have to figure out what to do with, you know, some, some very disturbing emotions and feelings, which I know enough is, is that they're necessary to be part of the work, but they're still not all that great and comfortable. And so to have someone that you can connect with someone who can guide you, someone who can be a mentor and really help you channel that and really continue to shift that paradigm and engaging what is. We all need mentors. None of us are doing this alone. If you're somebody who identifies as having trauma in your past, I know a lot of people have chosen to walk away and try to ignore that. And the idea of looking at trauma can really evoke a lot of anxiety. That is particularly the reason to find someone who can be a guide, who can be a mentor, who can help you understand that. The main difference is that when we do the work, I'm right there with you, shoulder to shoulder. I'm walking with you. I'm not here and you're there. And it's not separated. And, and you know, you know personally that I made myself available uh, so-called after hours. Because when you make the commitment yourself to heal, when you make the commitment to come and do this work, you become, you gave it your all, I'm going to give it my all. And if it means taking more time, it means taking more time. It's not even a question. (laughs) You know, I was in Boston, I was in my hotel room, I was having a really difficult time. And yeah, the, the, the level of support and integrity and authenticity in your work is just something that I can't recommend enough for people. So um, in wrapping up our discussion today, as I said, there just are not enough people out there who are talking about this, not even talking about it, but actually addressing it. Avanam is, is one of those unicorns that is out there. That's really just doing the work. You can get more information by contacting him directly. He's, as I said, he's got, free videos on his website if you just want to go and and hear him talk about some of this in more detail that can be done at www.avanom which is a v i n o a m learner l e r n e r.com www.avanomlearner.com you can also always contact me you can go through my website uh, com. You can also personally contact me at radicalhealthrn at gmail.com. Both of us are very committed to helping you find the next step. And I just can't emphasize how much this needs to become more of our mainstream approach and not just something that a few people have heard about. So in closing, is there anything you would like to say or any resources that you would like to mention that we haven't talked about during our talk here? The only thing that I would say is that I want people to know that uh, there is a lot that can be done, a lot that they can do, uh, that people can do for themselves. Going to the doctor office is just one thing. There, we all have access. It doesn't matter how old you are how, uh, where you are along the cycle of treatment. It doesn't matter what you've done before. There's always um, different tools, different methods. If one didn't work or 10 didn't work, there's another for you to try. I've been, uh, during my time at Dana-Farber, I've often gotten into these conversations with uh, oncologists and they said, well, you're promoting false hope. And I said, well, false hope only exists when you provide false guarantees. That's as simple as that. And I don't do that. In fact, I said it's quite the other way around. You're walking around with your white coat 
telling people that they only have this and that amount of time, that's that's exactly the, the, the wrong approach, the wrong use of the power that you have. I think people should know that when they advocate to themselves, if they can advocate themselves, it's it's incredibly valuable and meaningful. They'll get better results. If they need a mentor or a coach, cancer coach, to help them do that, that's available too. The point is there's a lot that can be done, and uh, you don't have to go at it alone. That's the point. It's like, you know, doctors are doing the best they can, but it's it's a very limited model. And for those of us who need healing beyond what they can uh, offer us, um, you know, Avanom's a great resource. And it's why I do functional medicine and why I work with clients. I don't make any guarantees. I just want to empower all of you to understand your health, your ability to participate in your healing and give you some tools to do that. And, um, and I, think, I, I think that's really kind of the bottom line. And if you live in the Boston area, I was really amazed as a nurse. I can tell you I was shocked to find out that Avanom does house calls. You know, he has a, a particular number of clients that, that just physically are unable to travel to his office. And he, you know, one day when I was leaving his office, he was going to make a house call. And I was like blown away. It's like, oh, my God. I'm an old-fashioned kind of guy, you can say. Yes. Old-fashioned. So anyway, um, thank you so much. This has been a great interview and I, I think really helpful. And, and for you know those of you listening, please, if any of this resonates with you, if you have questions, if you're not sure, just reach out you know, to either one of us and we'll certainly um, you know, help you figure out the next piece. Wonderful. Thank you so okay. much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. If you have comments or questions about today's episode, or how functional medicine can help you in your own recovery from breast cancer, you can contact Deborah at RadicalHealthRN at gmail.com. You can leave positive feedback and subscribe for future episodes on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Check out Deborah's website at www.boobsaren'tworthdyingfor.com for show notes, educational info, and other important links. Until next time.